Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to Maple Leaf's first quarter 2020 financial results conference call. As a reminder, this conference call is being broadcasted live on the internet and recorded. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. Please note that there will be a question and answer session following the formal remarks, and we will go over the question and answer session instructions following the conclusion of the formal presentation. I will now like to turn the call over to James Allison, Investor Relations at Maple Leaf. Please go ahead, Mr. Allison. Thank you, Joanna. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Speaking on the call this morning will be Michael McCain, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Herit Varelin, Chief Financial Officer. To adhere uh, with current social distancing measures and Maple Leaf's work from home policy, Michael, Hirsch, and the Investor Relations team have each dialed in from our respective homes. While we have taken additional precautions to minimize potential technical disruptions, we have asked for your patience and understanding over the course of the call. Similar to last quarter, we have uploaded our Q1 investor deck to our website, which includes support material for the quarter. Our call this morning will end promptly at 9 a.m., but the Investor Relations team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions or any detailed modeling questions you may have. I would remind you that some statements made on today's call may constitute forward-looking information, and our future results may differ materially from what we discuss. So please refer to our Q1 2020 MD&A and other information on our website for a broader description of operations and risk factors that could affect the company's performance. And with that, I'll now turn over the call to Michael McCain. Michael? Thank you, James. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining uh, Maple Leaf's first quarter 2020 earnings call. I hope that you're all keeping safe and healthy in these uh, difficult moments. In a moment, we'll discuss the performance of our business during the first quarter, as well as our outlook for 2020 and beyond, and then we'll open the call to questions. However, prior to reviewing our results, I'd like to speak for a moment on COVID-19. This is a pandemic that has uh, created a challenging unpredictable and unprecedented moment in history and we've been singularly focused on managing uh, through the effects of this pandemic uh, across our organization government has designated the food supply system as critical infrastructure and this status is guiding our behavior we're committed to feeding consumers in this crisis at the moment as an essential service Our responsibility to our people, our customers, and broader society has never been greater. As we navigate through this environment, we are guided by three priorities. First and foremost, protecting the safety of our people while we operate our critical infrastructure. Secondly, maintaining the security and continuity of our supply chain so that we may continue to fulfill our essential role in providing food for Canadian and international markets. And third, supporting vulnerable communities. When the spread of COVID-19 first began to escalate within North America, Maple Leaf quickly enacted its pandemic response plan, along with associated business continuity and contingency plans. For our people, we acted early at all of our sites to implement additional precautionary measures including spacing and screening procedures at our plants. Our people's efforts have been heroic, and we've implemented premium compensation for our frontline team members to reflect this. We were early in recognizing the threats and established appropriate crisis teams to support our work. As a result of this early action, we were able to maintain business stability and continuity. Unfortunately, we have identified some cases of COVID-19 amongst frontline team members that work in our processing facilities. In consultation with Public Health and the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, we immediately put our playbook to work 
and implemented appropriate precautionary actions as required. The science of this disease continues to evolve. We applied the best science and guidance updated by the Center for Disease Control and Protocols for Handling Positive COVID Cases, protect our people, and ensure the ongoing operation of our supply chain. The application of these protocols required us temporarily to suspend operations at a small number of facilities over the past several weeks, for as little as 24 hours to about a week. Each situation is different, as you can imagine, and local decisions are based on very disciplined local and situational risk assessments. The health and safety of our people comes first, and we only restart operations at affected sites when it is safe to do so. At the same time, we are doing all we can to minimize risk, including sharing best practices with our industry peers as we work collaboratively through this crisis. We have learned a great deal over the past several weeks and are further refining our protocols on an ongoing basis as a result. Our contributions to the war effort itself have been directed to people who are on the front lines of healthcare uh, helping those most affected and also the most vulnerable in our community. We've donated $2.5 million to the Frontline Fund and would, would encourage anyone on this line to do the same thing. Working with hospital foundations across the country, this fund will support the professional and personal needs of our courageous healthcare workers through this crisis. We've also stepped up our longstanding commitment to reducing food insecurity with a $2 million fundraising campaign under the theme Apart Together, with proceeds going to Food Banks Canada and Community Food Centers Canada. Maple Leaf is committing $1 million towards this campaign. We're also redirecting advertising spend to promote this effort on TV and social media. Now turning to our business, as you would expect, COVID-19 has created some volatility and we are seeing these effects on our industry and our business. There's been a migration of demand from food service to retail. As you may recall, retail is about 75% of our business in general. This migration, while being net neutral to overall volumes, is highly disruptive because of its largely distinctive supply chains. Impacts including insufficient retail capacity in some select categories and pressure on agricultural commodity prices upstream uh, uh, have been seen. We are responding to this in a number of ways, including uh, SKU concentration to maximize our retail production and short-term capacity strategies to optimize our outputs. As you would expect, demand has been volatile with pantry loading in retail and a sales decline in the food service segment. In April, following uh, the close of Q1, we've seen corrections that we believe are en route to more stable environments. We've seen increased operating costs. Uh, The critical measures that we put in place to protect our people and manage our supply chain did, in fact, increase our cost. We are managing these costs, and our teams are adapting extremely well. Having said that, we do expect to see these increased one-time costs for a period of time, a short period of time, through this crisis. As well, we will have experienced some short-term supply shortages when a facility is temporarily offline or has reduced output. These factors may uh, may be material to a specific quarter, but are not material to the overall health of our business or our long-term prospects. With the COVID-19 pandemic unfolding over the past two months, it could be easy to lose sight of the strength of our business prior to COVID-19. We did have a strong start to the year, with 12.8% sales growth driven by another quarter of double-digit increases in both our meat and uh, plant protein groups. Our strength in retail volume in both meat and plant protein did result in some uplift in the sales for the quarter. Excluding the impact of COVID-19, our results would be right on target with our growth expectations for the year. 
The meat protein group continued to build upon the momentum it developed through 2019. For the first 10 weeks of the year, strong volumes were driven by a combination of factors, including the successful repositioning of our flagship brands, as branded product was once again a leading contributor to growth. Continued excellent results from sustainable meats uh, added to our growth in the quarter. A raised without antibiotic uh, platform continues to see strong double-digit growth in the United States and strong momentum here in Canada as well, accompanied by expanding gross margins. And higher sales uh, in the Asian markets, primarily uh, China and Japan, uh, also contributed to our growth profile in Q1. Meat protein delivered a 30% year-over-year increase in EBITDA uh, and 160 uh, basis points year-over-year increase in adjusted EBITDA margins to 11.3% in what were neutral market conditions in total in the pork complex. This underscores our continued progress towards our goal of 14 to 16% adjusted EBITDA margins by 2022. I should note that COVID-19 was dilutive to EBITDA margins uh, in the quarter. In plant protein, sales momentum continued through Q1 uh, and results were in line with our expectations, over 25% growth for the quarter. This was driven by both greater distribution of new products and solid growth in our existing portfolio. This growth was also supported by our investments in advertising, promotion, and marketing, which built brand recognition. We continue to see strong adoption of our light life fresh burgers, grounds, and sausages, assisted by new formulations launched in December to dramatically improve these products in taste and texture. We continue to build on this position with additional innovations under the Field Roast brand, including breakfast sausage patties and links, as well as plant-based chicken nuggets, which were both released in February. These advances reinforced Maple Leaf's herb Greenleaf's position as the number two company by market share and number one brand by distribution in the U.S.'s plant-based industry. We've made great progress in plant protein in the last few quarters. We have two well-established brands with a broad portfolio of products and protein sources. We've got a great innovation pipeline with a skew to the higher margin retail channel. We've deepened our insights in the plant protein market, our relationships with customers and consumers, and we've gained momentum in brand awareness. We continue to see sales traction and we expect to achieve our targets for the year in 2020 in total. So now I'll turn it over to Herc, who will discuss both these expectations and our financial performance in greater detail. Herc, over to you. Thank you, Michael, and uh, good morning, everyone. I'll begin today by discussing the company's consolidated performance during the first quarter. I will then turn to a more detailed look at both our meat and plant protein groups. I'll conclude by speaking to some key financial metrics, CapEx, and our outlook for the rest of the year. Sales for the quarter were approximately $1 billion, an increase of 12.8% from the prior year. This increase was driven by strong performance from both our meat and plant segments. Adjusted EBITDA for the first quarter was $90.5 million, an increase of 7% from the prior year. This improvement primarily reflects the strong performance of our meat protein group, which was partially offset by our continued strategic investments in plant protein. As a result, adjusted EBITDA margin for the quarter was 8.9%, a slight decline compared to 9.3% last year. As mentioned earlier in the call, the pandemic's net impact on the first quarter was not material, as it was limited to only a few weeks. During those few weeks, we witnessed increased revenues, a decline in gross margins due to higher production costs, and increased expenses as a result of our efforts to support our communities. In total, COVID-19 was dilutive to our adjusted EBITDA margin in the quarter. Adjusted operating, earning, operating earnings for the quarter were $45.1 million, compared to 42.1 in the prior year, driven by similar factors. Net loss for the quarter was $3.7 million, or negative $0.03 cents per basic share, compared to earnings of $50.1 million last year, or $0.40 cents per basic share. Strong commercial performance across the business was more than offset 
by a $36.7 million impact from non-cash fair value changes in biological assets and derivative contracts. Excluding these fair value adjustments, Maple Leafs adjusted earnings per share were 21 cents compared to 20 cents in the prior year. I'll now turn to a discussion of Maple Leafs' two operating segments. Meat protein sales for the first quarter were $981.4 million, an increase of 12.7% from the prior year. This improvement was driven by several factors, including strong retail volumes throughout the quarter, including a boost in late March due to COVID-19-related pantry loading, increased sales to Asian markets, a favorable mix shift towards sustainable meats and other branded products, and finally, the benefit of pricing actions taking, taken during the third quarter of 2019. Meat protein adjusted EBITDA for the first quarter was $111 million, a significant increase of close to 30, 31% from the prior year. This growth was mainly due to strong sales growth coupled with a normalization of pork markets towards the five-year average. These positive drivers more than offset several factors, including costs incurred by a response to the pandemic in late March. Adjusted EBITDA margin for the meat segment was 11.3%, representing an increase of 160 basis points over the prior year. Turning now to our plant protein group, where we continue to invest for growth in a high potential market. Plant protein sales for the first quarter were 46.3 million, an increase of almost 26% from the prior year. This encouraging performance was driven by both broader distribution of our new products and strong growth in our existing portfolio. First quarter gross margin in the plant protein was 14.6% compared to 23.2 in the prior year and slightly higher than the fourth quarter of 2019. This margin compression reflects several short-term factors primarily related to heightened trade and promotion expenditure and supply chain costs. We remain confident, though, that we will increase this gross margin by the end of the year. SGNA expenses in plant protein were $30.9 million and roughly 67% of sales, in line with our full-year outlook, as we leverage strong brand awareness built over the second half of 2019. In addition, seasonality was also a factor, given that we are seeking to align our spending with key purchasing periods. As we've discussed, these costs represent our strategic investments in advertising, promotion and marketing, organizational capacity, and our innovation pipeline. These investments are designed to establish a strong foundation for the future growth of the group, and we're pleased with their progress to date. Maple Leaf's balance sheet remains strong with $641 million in net debt and $1.3 billion in undrawn committed credit. While the company has the financial flexibility necessary to complete near-term capital projects, we remain focused on deploying this capital in an efficient and balanced manner with the goal of maximizing shareholder value. During the first quarter, Maple Leaf invested $99.2 million in CapEx, including construction capital of about $57 million. These expenditures were primarily related to construction of our new poultry facility in London, Ontario. With regard to our outlook, I should note that our expectations for both the second quarter and the balance of the year are based on certain assumptions regarding the future of our markets. As expected, the onset of COVID-19 has introduced a degree of uncertainty here. This includes volatility in the pork and poultry markets that has accelerated in the face of COVID-19. That said, we continue to see strong evidence supporting higher live hog prices over the medium term, and Canadian poultry markets should stabilize as we move through the year. We have outlined the known and unknown factors, including the above for Q2 and the balance of 2020 in our slide deck that is available on our website. Specifically for the second quarter, our underlying business continues to be strong, and we expect to see heightened demand from the retail channel with lower sales from food service. We expect that incremental COVID-related expenses, such as labor, personal protection equipment, and increased sanitation could be up to $20 million for the second quarter. Obviously, where possible, we're looking for ways to reduce expenditures in other areas to mitigate some of this incremental expense. At this time, we're only assuming a significant increase in COVID-related costs for the second quarter. As we make our way through the next two months, we hope to have a better understanding of how to plan for COVID for the back half of the year. 
While we deal with the challenges created by the pandemic, we, remain, we maintain our strategic focus on profitable growth in the meat protein group and investing in our plant protein group. Now, things can change quickly, but at this time, we see no elements that materially change the overall expectation for our 2020 performance as outlined in February. And just let me walk you through the highlights of that outlook uh, once more. For our meat protein group, we continue to expect to deliver mid to high single-digit sales growth coming from momentum in, sale in sustainable meat and higher sales to Asian markets. Although it is unlikely to be linear, we expect to deliver gross margin expansion in meat in 2020. This improvement will be driven by mixed benefits in prepared meats, poor complex conditions closer to the five-year average, and higher sales to Asian markets. This quarter, as a reminder, gross margin expanded by 90 basis points to 16%. These factors combined with continued SGNA efficiencies are expected to drive adjusted EBITDA margin expansion in 2020, advancing towards our stated goal of 14 to 16 to be 16% uh, to be achieved by 2022. This past quarter, uh, meat adjusted EBITDA margin grew by 160 basis points to 11.3% representing continued progress towards our target. In the plant protein group, we continue to expect to deliver sales growth of approximately 30% in 2020, based on an acceleration during the year, consistent with our long-term target. We mentioned already that we did not expect this growth to be linear and that the first quarter would likely be lower. Over the balance of the year, we anticipate growth to accelerate as we continue to expand distribution points and launch new products. We expect growth to be driven by continued new product innovation, brand renovation in both our light life and field growth brands, and increased distribution points. We continue to expect our plants, plant group's gross margin to expand relative to 2019 as the business continues to grow and we optimize operational efficiencies and minimize startup costs. There's more work to be done, though, but we remain confident in this target for the balance of the year. We continue to anticipate SGNA expenses in plant of roughly $150 million over the course of the year, largely driven by continued investment in advertising, promotion, and marketing. This will include continued spend on talent and operations to develop our organizational structure, as well as research and development to support product innovation. We're adjusting our capital outlook for the year. Expenditures in the first quarter were lower than planned, partially as a result of large construction sites such as London Poultry being temporarily shut down as part of the government's measures to fight COVID-19. Based on what we know now, this construction site will, uh, will be closed until the end of May. Over the next couple of weeks, we should be getting more clarity on what sites can continue, but it is reasonable to assume that our capital spend for the year will be at least 50 million lower than what we communicated in February. We do not believe that this will result in a meaningful delay in terms of completion of the London or Shelbyville plants, though. In short, Maple Leaf has a stable, resilient model, business model. We have been extremely vigilant to maintain business continuity, and we are fortunate to be in a line of business that is somewhat protected from the devastating COVID-19 impact in other areas of the economy. With confidence and discipline, we will continue to execute on our long-term strategy. I will now turn the call back to Mike. Thank you, uh, Herrick, for that comprehensive review. To carry on from what uh, Herrick concluded with, we're extremely fortunate to be in what is a relatively secure and stable uh, industry. Uh, as I stated at the beginning of this call, we're pleased with the progress that we've made in the first quarter, with strong performance from both our meat and plant protein groups, keeping us on track for our long-term targets. While there's some degree of uncertainty in the near term, I am confident that we possess the organizational discipline and the expertise to manage through this unprecedented time. As critical infrastructure, as well as a company that is resilient in a time of great uncertainty, Maple Leaf also has a responsibility to serve the broader community and to be a leader in supporting at-risk communities, our frontline workers, and other stakeholders. I'd like to conclude by expressing my profound gratitude for our frontline team members who come to work every day to make the food on which we all depend. I'm humbled and I'm grateful for your commitment and inspired by the dedication of all our people to persevere and succeed in this environment. So with that, I'll now open up the line for questions, operator. 
Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from Irene Natal. Please go ahead. Thanks and good morning, everyone. And you know, again, thank you for the enhanced disclosure. Um, obviously, all of the problems that we're seeing in the U.S. with, with very large plant shutdowns and here in Canada as well have raised a lot of questions. I was wondering if you could just take a couple of minutes, Michael, and, and walk us through, I mean, you said you have a couple of some closures in smaller plants, but any differences in the way in which you operate your larger facilities? And I know this is really tough, but, you know, the probability in your mind of, or the risk in your mind of, of one of the big plants going down? Well, thank you for that question, Irene, and I am absolutely going to avoid doing any compares or contrasts or differences in this uh, situation because uh, every single situation is different and unique, and, the, and it's based on the local risk assessments uh, that are uh, a very complicated and integrated uh, assessment of the, the plant's status. Uh, combined with the uh, community status. And um, uh, those decisions are made collaboratively with public health uh, and the CFIA. And um, it is virtually impossible for me or, or others and inappropriate to try and opine on, on any differences. And I hope you can understand that. Um, the uh, What I will say is that that um, I believe that we were very early uh, in uh, in recognizing the risk uh, that this pandemic would create, and accordingly adopted very rigorous protocols um, for our people. And there's a and there's a range of those protocols that uh, accomplish objectives like working from home where possible, like social distancing. Uh, very aggressive screening uh, in our facilities, uh, appropriate protocols throughout the facilities that we've described many times before, uh, following uh, the application of uh, CDC guidelines around temperature checks and, and, uh, and PPE uh, amongst our, including masks, amongst our uh, frontline, uh, frontline um, uh, teammates. So all of those, I think, collectively, the fact that we were early adopters uh, and worked very collaboratively with public health and the CFIA uh, in terms of the community component of these things, I think uh, helps to mitigate the risk in our supply chain and I, and I think has contributed to uh, a relatively uh, stable and secure outcome to date. In terms of assigning or opining uh, on what the future probabilities of disruption are, it, again, it's very difficult to assess that because of the local conditions and the local community impacts uh, that are that are uh, integrated with these outcomes, uh, and uh, it, th those are very difficult to uh, to opine on, uh, Irene. But right right now, I, I I believe we're in. I think we're in, in pretty uh, in pretty good pretty good position right now, pretty good shape, uh, you know, certainly relative to, to others, but, you know, there's a certain sense of unpredictability to that going forward. I understood, Michael, and also presumably um, as we enter a period, if you will, of even higher risk as, as, you know, the economy and people start moving around a little bit more, all of these protections presumably will remain in place. Yeah, well, that's the, that's certainly our intent. And, and I think, uh, you know our communities in general have have really not uh, uh, not uh, landed on exactly what those reentry strategies uh, should be, um, uh, either for critical infrastructure or non-critical infrastructure. And I think that's work in process. Right, right now, we're just concentrating on uh, incredibly vigilant application of our protocols to date. I, I believe that the I believe that the risk profile in our supply chain is less today than it was 30 days ago, largely because I believe that 
uh, it's clear from the data that the social distancing in Canada has been uh, effective, uh, and, and I think all of the modeling uh, suggests that. And uh, our protocols in the supply chain are 30 days more mature today than they were uh, they were uh, a month ago. So, uh, you know, I believe that the risk profile to the supply chain today is less than it was 30 days ago. But, uh, uh, but I would say that in the next stage of this evolution, as the economy uh, begins to open up, we will have to carefully craft with public health and the CFIA and industry partners uh, exactly what that looks like in the next stage. For sure, our priorities won't change, which are number one, protecting our people while we operate uh, while we operate this critical infrastructure, and protecting business continuity. That's very helpful. And just one other question, if I might, um, you alluded to this in your discussion around uh, your relative. Um, mix between food service and retail. Can mm-hmm. you just spend a couple of minutes talking about the ability, and it sounds like it's a good one, that you have to really to pivot the product um, and the SKUs away from food service to retail and your ability to, to meet the demand as we move forward? Well, generally, we've been, we've been able to meet the demand uh, of the increase in retail versus uh, generally. Uh, so, which is why our, I think our volume in, in total is going to be neutral, maybe a slightly positive bias, but call it, call it for the purpose of this discussion, neutral, uh, in that, uh, in that food service decline, retail, uh, retail gain, um, uh, a shift. Um, but I would tell you that, uh, Irene is very, very category specific. So there are some categories that, um, that we uh, have the capacity to meet the uh, the retail growth uh, while the food service uh, contracts. There are some other categories that we're more restricted on, but we're in those categories. We are taking steps, as I alluded to, uh, around optimizing our retail pr- retail production output through things like uh, SKU optimization and and other operational tactics that are that have been uh, very effective. So, you know, on ge- in general, I think the macro theme is we're in, we're in pretty good position to be able to take advantage or to be able to not take advantage of, but to really uh, shift with that uh, with that uh, channel disruption. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Michael Van Eist. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Um, good morning, Michael. So I just want to touch base specifically on more the Brandon facility. And, um, you know, given that you know, if, if one plant was to go down that would, could have a bigger impact, it would be Brandon. So, you know, there aren't many cases in Manitoba, so certainly that is as a positive going for you. But what would be your what would happen to your pork supplier? How would you adjust your business, your supply chain, if Brandon had to was forced to close down for any period of time? Well, well I hesitate to speculate because these things are are so dependent on local uh, risk assessments, uh, and you, you know there there are there are very difficult uh, circumstances that are certainly being experienced in, uh, in other parts of North America where it, it, you know, the impact if, if extended goes right back to the, goes right back to the farm and, uh, and affects producers in the way that are relatively obvious that we're seeing throughout North America. That's happening in, in, um, uh, in all of the species uh, in protein. Um, so, um, uh, you know, speculating, Michael, on exactly what that would look like would be would be very challenging because it's this so uh, so specific to the to individual circumstances. What I would tell you is that we're in the Brandon facility, like all of our facilities. As I said, uh, mentioned or said, to Irene, I think we're in uh, in a uh, stable and secure position as of as of today. Manitoba happens to be. Uh, to be um, in a very good position uh, in in terms of their uh, outcomes, their public health outcomes. 
Uh, but in addition to that, we've got just we've got very, very, very uh, vigilant, rigorous protocols in place at the Brandon facility, as we do in all of our facilities today. But uh, they've, they've the, the team in Brandon have done a have done a very good job and are uh, at applying those uh, those uh, those protocols. Um, and uh, and I've got confidence in them. It doesn't, you know, the the situation is. Uh, Again, is very integrated to the community and the community status, uh, and um, uh, and in that community, I think we've got a uh, we've got a, uh, a very stable situation at the moment. But Michael, what like let's say it were to shut down hypothetically for a week or two, would you be able to source raw pork from other sources uh, given the yes. tight supply right now? Uh, to, to continue manufacturing or your, your, your prepared meats? Uh, I believe, I, I believe we would. Uh, and I believe we would, uh, certainly there would be, it depends on the, the market conditions at the time, but I believe we would. Yeah. And, okay. uh, you know, we operate with, we operate with inventory, right? So, uh, so I think there's some inventory uh, uh, components of that as well. We, so, so the short answer is, Michael, is would it be disruptive? Of, of, of course, it would be disruptive. But, you know, the um, I, I'm just not going to speculate on on what the various scenarios would be and and what worst case scenarios would be because I don't, you know, I I just don't know what the profile of that would look like. But right now, I believe we are in, relatively speaking, very uh, secure position uh, relative to our industry. Okay. And would you be able to quantify the dilutive impact of COVID to EBITDA margins in the first quarter? Uh, it was a slightly dilutive, uh, Michael. Slightly. Not, not significant, just slightly. Yeah, okay. it's really small, Mike. Okay. And then, um, I, I don't, this will be a tough one maybe, but, you know, last night, President Trump, uh, ordered all the food plants to stay open essentially you know we've seen spreads uh processing spreads really right up uh, in the face of 25 30% reduction in processing and slaughtering capacity in in the US and do you think that in your view do you think that the processing capacity can recover quicker with this order or do you think it's you know the fact the the fact that you know people are homesick and and the employees might not want to work in this environment might keep production uh, capacity or pro- slaughtering capacity uh, down for an extended period of time in the U.S. Uh, I think it will aid uh, the recovery of their processing capacity, but I don't necessarily believe that that recovery will be you know, overnight or quick. But it will obviously aid the recovery. I think it recognizes the critical infrastructure that the food supply represents. I mean, uh, in a situation like this, I, I, I just can't imagine the stress on a society uh, that would occur uh, if our food supply system uh, becomes dysfunctional. And uh, that, uh, I think, recognizes that criticality. And so obviously, Michael, it will aid in that. But I, I just don't know. I do not know their individual plant circumstances, the integrated nature of their uh, of their outbreaks with the community uh, and what the local judgments or risk assessments that are being applied that might influence their ability to bring back those supply chains. They're just so local that I, I cannot uh, offer an opinion on that other than just saying that broadly speaking, recognizing the criticality of the infrastructure uh, will aid the recovery in some way, I, but I just can't opine on exactly how. All right, thank you. I'll pass it on to someone else for now. Thanks. Thank you. The next question comes from Derek DeLay. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, uh, Michael, and, and here. Just wanted to talk a little bit about your um, your export market, namely China. So um, given what we saw last year with the ASF and the reduction in the hog herd, uh, have you guys seen or heard of any sort of changes there in terms of China being able to to start to rebuild that hog herd, or, or has COVID nineteen you know led to to further delays on on that front? 
Uh, I've seen no evidence of any change from the last time we spoke. Uh, of course, they will work towards rebuilding it, but we feel that, uh, as the industry feels, that that's years away. Um, uh, and um, uh, certainly Q1 was uh, the uh, the first full quarter where we were back in the uh, in the Chinese market, and uh, and we saw significant increases to our uh, to our exports into that market over the course of the quarter. But I have not seen any fundamental change from last time we spoke, Derek. And, and would you expect that, you know, given some of the tariffs that we're you know we've seen in the U.S. that you guys are gaining market share, or you know other countries are gaining market share within that that Chinese market? Well, by definition, the fact that we've had such strong growth, it feels a little bit like that. But you you look at the you look at the data coming out of the United States, uh, their their exports into uh, into China. I think last time I last time I saw the data was up 100% into China. Uh, so uh, from the United States. Now that will obviously be impacted by the by the more recent than the last couple of weeks, uh, the recent contraction of their uh, of their processing capacity. Uh, you know, their uh, the the um, they, they've seen 25, 30% reductions in the U.S. Uh, processing uh, just over the last couple of weeks. So, <clears throat> so that will obviously impact their uh, their export uh, capacity uh, into that market. But again, I don't, I can't opine on in terms of how long that will persist for, uh, given uh, given the um, what what the, the volatile situation that they're facing. Um, but you know what I do know is that uh, we are uh, at Maple Leaf uh, uh, active exporters into that market. Um, we are uh, we're maximizing the opportunity to uh, sell into that market as much as we can, and uh, and um, uh, you know I think that uh, we expect that to continue. Okay. Um, in terms of just the consumer purchasing behavior that you've seen in in you know, sort of the early stages here of, of, of COVID-19. Have you seen any, any changes in, in purchasing behavior? Are consumers, you know, looking to buy more of, of sort of legacy products or what they're used to? Or are folks trying new products, maybe trying, you know, more of your, your PPG products? Can you just comment on, on what you're seeing there? Well, we've seen, as I said uh, in my remarks, we've seen growth in retail, uh, contraction of our food service business, although some data points are showing that the food service business more recently in the last, in the last few weeks are, are starting. There's getting, getting some, some small amount of rebound uh, in the food service channel in the last few weeks, I think, uh, which is good news for them. Um, uh, in terms of consumer behavior, um, uh, yeah, I think there there is some evidence of uh, of people migrating to traditional products. We've seen uh, we've seen real strength in categories uh, like um, uh, wieners and sausages, sliced meats, uh, bacon. Uh, some weakness in uh, deli products, for example, as you can imagine, uh, deli uh, operations in most retail outlets are. Are not functional or or significant reductions. Um, uh, some categories like uh, like uh, lunch kits tend to suffer with uh, people uh, with with families at home. Um, uh, certainly, uh, from a broader perspective, uh, we've seen uh, tremendous growth coming in, more coming into the second quarter than than the first uh, in our plant-based business. Uh, I think there's been uh, that continues to accelerate, uh, but some of that is just due to the uh, to the seasonality of uh, that uh, as we as the second quarter comes into kind of a, the, the, the more seasonal sweet spot for that uh, for that category as well. So, so you know, teasing out how much of that is uh, is struck consumer uh, you know behavior oriented versus seasonality is very difficult, but we are seeing. Very robust uh, plant-based business, and our, and and uh, in line with our expectations on our meat platform. Um, uh, so those you know those are the headlines, uh, uh, Derek. I don't uh, I'm not sure if that addresses your question, but it's uh, those are the headlines. Nope, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next question comes from Mark Petrie. Please go ahead. 
Hey, good morning. I just wanted to uh, follow up just quickly on your comment with, uh, with regard to channel shifts being largely neutral to volume. Um, what period were you referring to, or is that just a general comment of, uh, of, of what you're seeing in the business? Uh, that's a general comment, uh, but I think that's, that is uh, more reflective of uh, what we would expect in the second quarter. As okay, as yeah. that channel as that channel shift uh, um, kind of normalizes, right? Okay, so food service wasn't severely impacted in in Q1. Well, it it, it certainly was in the back half of March. Uh, the yeah. last two, all of these shifts basically accelerated and and impacted our results in the last two weeks of of the of the quarter, where we saw you know dramatic declines in our Food service business and uh, and a bit of a hoarding effect in retail. Okay, I, well, I guess so. I guess my question is maybe you know like was your shift was your ability to shift your capacity from food service to retail was that relatively quick or you know is there a bit of a yeah. lag in that? No, relatively relatively quick in most categories, not all. As I said, it's very category specific, but we we did take steps uh, late in March and early and then. Through uh, through the early part of April to uh, streamline our, our productivity uh, measures in our retail portfolio uh, in the th- last part of March and into early part of April, so relatively swift where okay. where it's possible. There are some places there's some places Mark where it's not possible. You know, an obvious example is in uh, is in bacon. It was a very material difference between the packaging formats and the process formats in bacon, in um, in uh, food service versus retail. We're not a we're not a large food service uh, bacon uh, provider. Uh, we we are dominant retail, but but it's more difficult to take advantage of the growth in retail in that business. We don't we didn't suffer a large re, uh, food service decline because we're not. A significant food service operator in bacon, but it's more difficult to take advantage of the retail growth in bacon because of the just because of differences in the packaging format. As a, as an example, uh, there are other categories where we uh, where we had more opportunity either through available capacity or easier ability to adjust uh, in the in those. So it's very category specific. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks. So I, the, the other question I had was um, just re- with regards to sort of trade spend and, and also marketing spend, um, I'm just curious about how that's sort of been affected through the course of the of the pandemic, how that's evolved, um, and I guess sort of both in, in meat and uh, meat protein and in plant protein, if you could separate those, and if and sort of how you've adjusted tactics and uh, and strategies, and then if that affects um, you know the overall level of spend, or if that's just if it, if it's just really a change in sort of how you're approaching it. it uh, there's there's some in the SGNA. There'll be some uh, offsetting uh, costs, but not uh, not really that material. Uh, some offsetting costs in our SGNA. Uh, as you know, it's not a it's not an appropriate period of time to be uh, to be advertising in certain aggressive ways. But, but on the other hand, we've converted, uh, converted, a, a large chunks of our advertising, uh, investments to, uh, both support our, uh, community efforts around the center for action and food security. Uh, and in some cases where we are continuing to advertise around the, the, the message itself. So I think it just, I think consumers are just want, different types of messages, I think, to support the products that they love and consistently uh, support and and not necessarily uh, considerably less uh, advertising per se, um, for the most part. Uh, So, uh, so there is, there is some offset to the operating costs in our SGNA, but not uh, in our supply chain, but not, not, not material. Yeah, okay. and I, I would add, Michael, that on the plant side, we are we're executing as as we said we were. I mean, the the, the trade spend and the SGNA spend that we have on our plant side is exactly in line with what we said in the beginning of the year uh, that the trend the trend would be for the full year. So um, we continue to invest in brand building, etc. But there, it's it's much more commensurate with the rate of uh, innovation introductions and uh, and new product launches uh, 
uh, than anything. Okay, thanks. And, and I guess just sort of following up on that on that last point, um, you know, do you think that this sort of surge in retail demand overall has led to any kind of change in the pace of new trial in in the plant-based category, or or is this is that all just sort of uh, uh, on track as as you would have expected, and this it, and that it, it's not affected? I wouldn't say that it's not affected because that would be too much of a bright line. There's some effect, but it's not material. We're we're marching forward with our plans as uh, as expected. So I, there's clearly, uh, from a tactical perspective, there's uh, there's some impact, category by category, product by product, customer by customer. But it's not really that material, Mark. We're we're continuing forward. Okay. Thanks very much for all the comments and all the best. Thank you. The next question comes from Peter Sklar. Please go ahead. I just want to talk about packer margins for a second. As you know, the packer margins in the U.S. have really widened out with, uh, you know, these plants that have gone down. So my question is, how integrated is the Canadian pork market with the with the U.S. market? So if if packer margins are, you know, expanding in the U.S., you know, does that translate into the into the same dynamic in Canada or are there certain structural issues for pork to cross over the border? So it is, it, uh, Peter, to answer your question, there are, um, uh, there, there, I'd answer it in a couple of different ways. First of all, it's directly linked. So it's not a question of, is it influential? It's directly linked to the Canadian market and the Canadian market operates in, in complete sync with the U S market in that regard. Having said that, uh, it's you, when you look at the packer margin expansion, uh, I would encourage you to also look at the uh, the devastation in the uh, lean hog price, which you know we operate in a whole continuum of of pork complex that has lean hog margins and price um, in lean hogs. It wasn't that long ago we're trading say in May or June in the 80s and 90s, and they went down into the 30s for a period of time. So. Now it's recovered uh, slightly, but it's still trading in the in the in the low 50s. So you have to look at the whole, as we put in our materials uh, uh, this quarter. You, you look at in, in the first quarter it was net neutral. Uh, it's too difficult to call exactly how all three of those components, the lean hog or the hog production, the packer spread or processing, and the byproducts. Uh, the combination of all three of those components will be affected in the second quarter. It's probably too early to call how all three of those are, but we certainly expect for the year to be basically on track with our guidance, which is you know neutral to five-year averages uh, or maybe slightly better. With respect to maple leaf, the third part of this is, though, is uh, maple leaf operates with a very, very high proportion of value-add in our product mix. And what that means is to maple leaf is that while the packer margin and hog production margin and byproduct markets has an influence on our performance, we don't have either the low lows or the high highs as a result of those changes in markets. We have a much more stable and predictable profile against those markets because of our high value-added uh, mix. It will be uh, influenced by it to some degree, as we've disclosed every quarter, that we won't have the extreme volatility that that might represent in our portfolio. Right. Okay. And then just as a follow-up, um, you know, with the issues that they're having in the U.S. Uh, in their pork plants, uh, I would assume the U.S. they're looking for products. So has that impacted your export of you know, your branded uh, prepared meats business into the U.S. grocery channel? Like, is there additional demand for your product? It hasn't, uh, it hasn't to date. Uh, you know, we've got great demand for our products in, you know, in the United States, but not really connected to what's going on with their supply chain. Most of our demand growth in the U.S. has been uh, as a result of our double-digit growth in sustainable meats. Uh, we've had great success in the Greenfield brand uh, in the U.S. marketplace in, in sustainable meat, and our sustainable meat portfolio is driving our growth in the U.S. marketplace, not COVID-19. 
Right. Okay. Uh, the uh, having said that, coming you know, uh, with the contraction in capacity in the United States, uh, I think it's fairly uh, fairly accurate to say that it's likely the contraction of capacity of say 25, 30 percent, very very short term, is more likely to affect their exports than their domestic market. Um, so. Um, I suspect that they will protect their domestic supply chains uh, at the expense of their exports. But I don't, you know, I can't say that for certain, but I, I would think that's logical. Okay. And then just lastly, um, just seeing you double your sales to China, um, like there's so many moving parts. There's all the trade issues, there's the COVID issues, um, the issues they've had with uh, obviously with their domestic hog production, like bottom line, like what what is it that's really co- allowed you to double your sales to China? Um, is demand. it all of the above? Yeah, demand. We we've we've uh, their demand, which started to materialize in the middle of 2019. We were not able to access that demand in the first instance because of the uh, because of the restrictions that were placed upon the Canadian industry by uh, China from in Q3 and 4 of 2019. That changed, as you know, in in early December of 2019, and so that's a it's a demand led uh, shift. There's uh, the 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 uh, the supply shortage that, uh, in in China is you know, 15 to 20 million tons per annum, and Canada's role in that is de minimis, relatively speaking. So uh, there's a you know our, our, our ability to fulfill that demand is restricted only by the our availability of uh, of uh, product to sell, which is you know obviously limited by our own supply. Right. Okay, um, that's everything I have. Thank you. Thank you. The last question comes from George Dumay. Please go ahead. Hey, morning, guys. Hey, George. Um, there seems to be a second a second wave of pantry loading uh, in the U.S. because of like all the headlines and the talks around uh, supply disruptions out of, the, out of the plant. So I'm just wondering if you're seeing anything improving to that at all in, in Canada. <clears throat> Have not seen that to date, uh, George. But I, you know, I couldn't say that that wouldn't happen. I think certainly the the media has been more uh, more attentive to the supply chain challenges in the U.S. than in Canada, because largely because they've had more supply chain challenges in the United States and Canada. But I, you know, I can't say that that wouldn't uh, that that wouldn't occur again. Okay, just one last one for me on the uh, the higher supply chain costs that you guys called out in the, the plant based business. Can you maybe give a little bit of color on what they were and how they would look like, I guess, in the, in the environment where you do see the higher demand that you've called out for in, in Q2? Well, the, the yeah, yeah, Kurt, why don't you take that one, Kurt? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so we, we called out additional uh, trade trade spend and supply chain costs. And we do believe that as we as we continue with the growth cycle that we have right now, with the growth numbers that we are seeing in, in, in April, we're going to be able to to better source that and better organize that. Um, so we're we're confident that we can get that down or better under control, such that we can get the growth margin up. Okay, thank you. Those are my questions. Thank you. That concludes the question and answer session. I will now turn the call back over to Mr. McCain for closing remarks. Okay, well, thank you very much for uh, for everybody joining today. Uh, again, these are unprecedented times. Uh, I'm very, I'm very, very proud of the uh, the the um, uh, dedication and commitment of our, all of our team members to um, both meeting our obligations as critical infrastructure but also contributing to the war effort uh, in the ways that we have and been uh, supportive as, as our, as our teammates have been uh, to all of the uh, societal requirements uh, and obligations uh, during this time. So it's unprecedented period, but I think we've, we've, uh, 
We have demonstrated the resilience of our business model and the strength of our people uh, through this, and I'm uh, very proud of them in virtually every way. So uh, thank you for all of your support. Uh, we uh, look forward to reporting uh, you know, significant improvements on both public health and, um, and our business results in the future. Uh, and, uh, and there will be a time when we can be together again. So uh, thank you for your support, and I, uh, I look forward to uh, connecting with you next quarter and uh, as we, as we um, uh, work our way through this, uh, these challenges. So thank you, and I uh, look forward to the next time. Have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.